The reading can be found on page 1195 in the Church Bibles. And it comes from Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Thanks, Peter, for reading that. Brilliant. So, here we are, starting a, a new series in 2 Timothy. And it's always, uh, there's always anticipation and expectation when we start a new series, isn't there? Because uh, we, we're suddenly thinking, wow, God, what are you going to speak to us uh, uh, with, uh, through this series? What are you going to say? Uh, so let's have those expectant hearts while we go through, not just tonight, but also over the whole summer. Uh, 2 Timothy, so if you've closed your Bibles, 1195, that's where we're going to be for the next bit of time. And I want us to start by thinking uh, about a question, and the question is, who is going to be leading our churches in 20 years' time? I don't know if that's a, a question that you've ever thought about or a question you may think you never need to think about. But I, I want to pose to you that actually that we're all responsible. We're all responsible for the gospel. And actually, therefore, it's a significantly important question because it affects all of us. Thinking about uh, significant ministers of the gospel, last February, Billy Graham passed away. A very well-known, obviously, American uh, evangelist. And over the course of his life, it's reported that he uh, proclaimed the gospel to a hundred million people and millions more uh, on the TV and, and so many people professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His, his ministry definitely had an impact, uh, but he passed away as people do. People die. Um, and I'm sure many were bereft of his presence. But here's something that he said in his last will and testament. There's some words here for his family. I ask my children and my grandchildren to maintain and defend at all hazards and at any cost of personal sacrifice the blessed doctrine of complete atonement through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and through that alone. I urge all of you to walk with the Lord in a life of separation from the world and to keep eternal values in view. And so those words, they actually quite neatly sum up what's going to be happening in 2 Timothy. Because Paul, Paul's in Rome, and he's in prison, he's in chains, and he realizes that his death is just around the corner. 
That's pretty much his last letter that he's writing here. And later you see his life has been, he uses the language of my life has been poured out like a drink offering. He knows it's coming, the inevitability of it. And there's lots of good things to reflect on. The gospel has started to spread across the known world. Little churches have started to crop up and, and people are coming to faith. This is really encouraging. He's writing his letters and uh, he's encouraging and exhorting them to keep going, to follow Christ. But the work is definitely not done. Definitely not done. And there's always the ever-present dangers of sin and godlessness sort of creeping around the edges. And what about some heresies that may start to come in? The work is definitely not done. And Paul can't do it all. And actually, we see a little bit later in this, in this, uh, in, in, in the future sermons that actually there are people starting to desert him, people who were close friends, uh, because of his, uh, association effectively being a criminal, because he's, uh, proclaiming the gospel and the state has said, don't do that. Just think about how that would be for you. Uh, you are, how hard it would be to be associated with somebody who's in chains because of crimes against the state. It's easy to say, oh, they're doing good work. They're proclaiming the gospel. But for you to do that same message, big risk for you. What about your job, your family? How could that affect you? And Paul's looking around and he's like, Where, where's my friends? Where's my support? Where's my help? Timothy, I know Timothy. I trust Timothy. Timothy, come and join me. You see, there's a responsibility for the gospel to be passed on. And that's what Paul is wanting to do. He needs to pass on to that next generation. Pass on to new leaders. Pass on, therefore, to new places and people groups. And so, as we'll see, 2 Timothy is primarily a church to and for church leaders. It's got Paul, and he's writing to Timothy, another church leader. But at the same time, this book's in the Bible, and therefore it's for all of us. And so there's so many things that we, as, a, as the people of God, need to learn from it. And so there's two things, two broad things that we'll see tonight, and through actually, hopefully through the whole sermon series, which is, uh, which is this. That leaders are responsible for preserving and proclaiming the gospel, And the church is responsible for supporting those leaders and to help raise up those new leaders. You see that? So say it again. So leaders are responsible for preserving and proclaiming and modeling the gospel. And the church is there to support and to help raise up new leaders, as well as proclaim itself. But those are the two themes we see there. So let's pray. God, we ask that as we go through tonight through to timothy one to seven and onwards that you would speak to us and help us to pass on this message responsibly amen so first bit leaders responsible for the gospel because it's the way that he's ordained it does anybody remember the 2004 uh, olympics the ones that happened in athens uh, they were amazing, utterly amazing. And one of the, the one, the thing I love about, uh, the athletic events, there's many things, but one I really love is the four by 100 meter relay. Incredible. It's exhilarating. So fast. Watching those fastest sprinters in the world go even faster around the whole, the whole, uh, track. And every time you're a little bit nervous whenever it comes to the change or the one person with the baton, is he going to drop it? Is he going to miss it? Are they going to lose some time? Is he going to stay in his lane when he goes around the corner? In that race, Britain edged out the Americans by one hundredth of a second. Oh, so close. What a win. But one person couldn't run that 400 metres by himself and, and, or herself and win that race. Uh, they actually go faster when it's the four handing on. 
And just in the same way there's that plan for one person to pass the baton to the next one and continue on, there's a plan that God has in his sovereign purposes and his will to use humanity to declare and spread his kingdom. And all the way through the Old Testament, New Testament, church history, even up to now, uh, he facilitates that through church leaders. So let's have a look at the text. Let's look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. It's his will. Think about leaders throughout uh, the Old Testament. Moses going up the mountain, receiving the, the words of God, the law, coming down and taking it to the people, leading them. Think about the prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, we just finished that series. Amos, Hosea and on. People who've taken God's words uh, in that time and reminded them, hey, you're straying, you're sinning, come back to God. What about Christ himself, the word of God made flesh, revealing the father to us, passing on the message. And then from him to the apostles going out to declare the gospel to the world and through church leader and pastor and vicar and church leader all the way through up today. God's will, his planned way of doing things, his way of good order, using church leaders to help encourage and to build up churches. It's good and healthy for the church that there are ministers who give spiritual guidance and direction and encouragement to exhort you to keep going, to bring unity and reconciliation between people within churches, uh, for people recognizable link almost to the world at the same time. It's in the will of God. It's a good thing for us to have some church leaders. But it's not just a part of his plan uh, in this way, but he also, he, we see he gives it a, as a gift. Have a look at verse 6. We'll cover this a number of times. For this reason, I, Paul, remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. Paul talks about uh, many gifts throughout the New Testament. And he's saying that here, preaching, this, this whole lead, this church ministering, this what is a, a gift in itself. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given through the working of his power. That's uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Notice that authority also that, that, that Paul uh, expresses through the laying on of his hands, one church leader to another. Maybe, maybe there are people here who have got that preaching gift um, and you haven't. You, maybe you don't know that yet because God has given that gift. Uh, maybe that's a good thing to speak to Tim and Phil. There's lots of preaching opportuni- opportunities in this church. Maybe it's a thing in God's will that he's asking you to pursue. Maybe actually it's something that God isn't calling you to do right now. And he's asking you to pursue other things. We want to recognize the gifts that he's given us and we want to be within his will. Uh, I was encouraged to hear, uh, we had um, Judith come, Judith Bawtree, to uh, KO last week as a little interview, and it was fantastic. And she uh, was saying the story of how a couple of years ago at the AGM, the general meeting, how uh, Phil had been mentioning, we need people to respond to, to the gospel. We need people to respond to ministry. And both Don and Judith said they, were, they felt touched by the Holy Spirit. We've got to respond. We've got to do this. And so two years later... Don is a reader, a licensed reader to preach in churches. Uh, and Judith has gone to join the church army as an evangelist in training. Two people who have responded uh, and using the gifts that, uh, that have been given. But it's not, just, uh, it's not just a thing that we can, you know, uh, receiving that passive gift. There's got to be some active using of the gift. Have a look again at verse 6. I'm going to read it out. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. 
They have to exercise their gifting, do church ministers, do church leaders. Uh, I um, went to Edinburgh University and the church that I was at, every year we would go away on a student weekend away. Great fun, uh, out in the Scottish wilderness, as it were. Um, And we'd always light up a bonfire. And I can remember one particular one in my first year where I was charged to get this fire lit. And it was a big heap of... Of, of wood and, uh, and, and, and tree branches and the rest of it, but it had been slightly damp through the day. And I had my kindling and I had my paper, but the thing just would not light. And I was there for a good solid hour, working at it, blowing at it, relighting it again, trying to get it to work. And I was getting desperate, thinking, am I going to have to get some petrol here or pour the whiskey on the fire or something just to get it lit? Thankfully, after much hard work, it did, it did uh, uh, come and went into a roaring fire. We had a fantastic evening. So I, I have the skills to light a fire, I know how to do it. You know, I've got my match, I've got my, my heat, I've got my oxygen around me, I've got my fuel, but, uh, but I've got to work, I had to work at it, I had to use that gift. Um, and in the same way that people who have got a preaching gift have got to use it. They've got to, they haven't got to shy away uh, from that calling. See in verse 7. For the Spirit of God does, get, uh, for the Spirit gave the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. They're not going to shy away out of fear, but they've got to work at it. Hear the words of uh, the world's foremost cellist before he died, uh, Pablo Casals. At the age of 83, he was asked, why do you continue to practice four or five hours a day? Casals answered, because I think I'm making progress. I don't practice for four or five hours today, uh, and that's a little indictment on me. And you know, he's an incredible musician, but I, I will work at it. But uh, isn't that amazing? He's still at that age was saying, I've got to keep going. I've got to keep using my gift. I've got to keep exercising it. Now, we're getting to a point where we'll see how we can help out in this ministry. There's a, I'm obviously saying a lot related to sort of maybe church leaders and what they're meant to do. Uh, but we're going to get there. We are going to get there. But let's look at those the two important aspects that Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy in exercising his gifts. And the first thing is in modeling the gospel. Have a look at verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience... As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. He's, he's saying to Timothy, look, as a church leader, you've got to, you've got to be modeling the gospel to people. Look at my, look at how I do it and imitate me. Uh, I, look at how I'm praying. You need to be a praying person. Our ministers need to be praying people. We see here and in other places that Paul was someone who engaged in prayer in a deep way, praying day and night. They also need to be people who give thanks to God. You see in that text as well, I thank God whom I serve. They need to be a people who have sincere faith and are able to identify it and call it out in other people. They need to be good modelers of the gospel. And so that's the first thing. And the other thing, and it's obviously an obvious thing, but they need to proclaim it. Proclaim the gospel. And in light of verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know if you skip over a lot of these 
salutations or hellos at the beginnings of these letters. But, uh, you know, because we tend to maybe sign off a, an email with blessings, regards, thanks, whatever, you know, it's just like an inconsequential thing at the end of the email. But there's actually so much richness in these beginning bits and these end bits of the letter. It's reminders here of the gospel. What is it? The promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a reminder that actually we serve him, the one who is the creator, the sustainer of all things, the one who in his humility stepped down and lived a life amongst us, the one who in his humility was obedient to the Father's will and died for us upon the cross. But he did not stay dead. He rose to life on the third day and is seated and is reigning in heaven at the Father's right hand until a day when he comes to reign here on earth. See, we've received, look at those three things. We've received mercy from God, not getting what we deserve. We were sinners, but fully deserving of the wrath of God. But because of Christ, he has taken that punishment and we are spared. We have received the gift of grace. We don't, uh, we get what we don't deserve. We've received the righteousness of Christ himself. We have that promise of life in him. We have an eternal future guaranteed by the deposit promise of the Holy Spirit. And we've been given peace, reconciled to God through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. Christ himself is our peace. This is the gospel that ministers need to keep at the forefront of our minds. That churches need to keep central. That small groups need to keep central. This is the thing that Paul is reminding Timothy. Keep doing this. This is the thing you need to do. Keep proclaiming the gospel. So... We've looked out how leaders are responsible for the gospel and how they are. It's God's will that he's planned. He's got leadership to raise up leaders at the right time. And they've got to exercise their gifting. But what about us? What do, what do we do? You know, we, Do we just listen nicely to this passage and then move on to something else? Well, yes, we are called again to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we also see through this passage that we have a responsibility to support our leaders. And to help raise up new ones. So that's what we're going to look at in this second bit. In first, in looking at praying for our leaders. Have a look at verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is a great thing to be praying for your leader. I don't know how often you you pray for your leader. Um, I love to take scripture and pray it back to God. And I think this is, you know, one of the beautiful things that we can use in prayer. We can use God's words. We're basically saying, God, this is the word that you've said. Will you do the thing that you've said? And so remembering that we're in a spiritual battle and our leaders are in a big spiritual battle. How about pray for our leaders that the Holy Spirit would give them these three things. Power to persevere in study. Power to continue proclaiming the gospel in difficult and challenging circumstances. When they may be lacking fruit or facing opposition, to keep going boldly. Pray that by the Spirit they would have love for God, love for Jesus, love for people daily. Pray that by the Spirit they would have self-control to guard their time well. Put the first things first to live a self-controlled, godly life. Good things here to pray for 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 our leaders. We can pray, that's how we can support Here's some, maybe some familiar words from Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. 
consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We see that a lot in the bit we just read, don't we? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, proclaiming, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate them, model their, the way that they live out the gospel. A little bit further on, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Verse 18, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire live, to live honorably in every way. How often do you, how often do I pray for our leaders? I don't think I do so enough. Uh, we had our prayer meeting last week. That's a great way that we can come together as a church to pray for our leaders, uh, to support our leader. How about ways that we can support our leaders through prayer, but also through encouragement? Maybe sending them a card, maybe an encouraging word. Maybe an act of kindness, something that would help to support and build them up in their gospel ministry. We obviously had the book that we were selling uh, last week at the weekend away. I don't think we've got any more currently, but we can order some, which is the book your pastor wishes you to read by Christopher Ash. Uh, an encouraging way that we can support our leaders. So that's the first thing. We can, we can support our leaders by praying for them. And then the, the second thing, which is helping to raise up future leaders. There's three things here. Gospel gospel friendships help raise up ministers of the gospel. Have a look at verses three and four. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. Did you notice the language that Paul was using there to Timothy? You know, their, their interaction, it's not just some sort of ministry, uh, ministry sort of partnership. It's not some sort of work-efficient relationship where they just get jobs done, they get tasks done. No, this is a friendship that is founded on the gospel. And it's a friendship that is relational, emotional. See how Paul calls him, my dear son, in verse 2. He's, uh, he's, not, he's not his father, he's, because we read it about Timothy's father elsewhere. He, he, it's a spiritual son. There's a, there's a friendship there. See how he longs to see Timothy in verse 4, so that he might be filled with joy. It's not Timothy filled with joy, so that Paul might be filled with joy. Paul is uh, uh, instructing Timothy, but all at the same time he's in, enjoying their relationship together. And what constitutes their friendship? Again, it's the gospel. It's the grace, the peace, the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that both of them are experiencing and encouraging each other with. So I wonder what friendships uh, you are sowing into. Do you have friendships that are um, superficial, uh, that uh, are talking about surface level stuff, where it's just about uh, having a good time and, and, and enjoying one's company? That's, that's a good thing. But what about Friendships that are rich and are deep and are filled with godly moments. Steph and I have uh, friends from the States from uh, where we were uh, called Sal and Nate. And they visited us last year. Uh, we, long, we want to see them again. But uh, not only are those times where we get together, they're fun and they're filled with joy and laughter and tears and talking about the past and what the future could be. But they also are filled with moments, godly moments, talking about Christ, talking about the good things that he's doing, things about what he could be doing in our lives and in the world. It's that type of thing that we want to have uh, in our friendships. Are you involved in a one-to-one Bible study? That's another great way that we can be sowing into each other. There's a great number of them in the church, and I'm sure we could have more. Wouldn't it be great if we had 
everyone in the church in a sort of an Paul and a Timothy type friendship, sowing into one another. Because God, gospel friendships helps, help raise up ministers of the gospel. Secondly, gospel families help raise up ministers of the gospel. Have a look at verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. I do not have a mother called Eunice, but I do have a grandmother called Lois. Isn't it awesome I get to preach this passage? I've got a grandmother called Lois. And I've, I've had that privilege of growing up in a Christian family. Um, I've, and she definitely was that uh, role model for me. Uh, she was one who discipled me and encouraged me to serve the Lord. Uh, and this is hugely valuable. And so I want to speak to those two groups in a way that we see uh, listed here. First, to, to grandparents or those of an older generation. Just because you're older you, and you feel like you've got limited opportunities to serve the Lord, uh, there are absolutely so many opportunities. We see here, discipling those that are younger, it doesn't have to be younger, even just slightly younger than you could be something that you can do. Sowing into someone, discipling them, nurturing in their faith, calling out sincere faith. You still have a great many things to offer. And also Eunice, mothers, mothers, you are not just stay-at-home mums who therefore don't have work. You are full-time evangelists, raising up children or a child in the knowledge and the ways of the Lord. That is good work. That is, that is work. Uh, and that is um, absolutely necessary work. It takes effort. It takes courage. It takes patience. And don't let the uh, people around you or the world belittle you and say, oh, you're, you know, you're not, you should be out working. You're doing great work. I say thank you. Thank you for gospel families. Because gospel families help raise up ministers of the gospel. I also just want to say, you may not have grown up in a family like that. But the gospel is transformative. And the only past that defines you is really that which is at the cross. And so therefore, you can be a father, a mother, a grandmother, a grandfather to somebody in the future. And it may not be a direct uh, relation. We see here Paul is uh, calling Timothy my dear son. It could be a spiritual son, a, a spiritual grandchild. Gospel families help raise up ministers of the gospel. Last one, gospel succession. Gospel churches help raise up new ministers of the gospel. I was preaching this same sermon at Holy Cross this morning. Obviously Dave has come in within the last year. Uh, Phil is obviously still our minister. Phil may retire in a couple of years. Don't retire just yet, Phil. But there will come a time when Phil will retire. There will come a time when uh, Bishop Hannington doesn't have Phil as the vicar. Thinking back to that question we had at the start, who's going to be leading our churches in 20 years' time? And so, again, we can have that role to play. You, what about joining the PCC in that time of transition, so when the church goes from one minister to another, you are there uh, ready to help appoint, prayerfully select the next minister of this church. What about becoming a church warden to do that same thing where you're supporting, uh, helping out gospel ministry by serving the gospel minister in the church? Because gospel churches help raise up new ministers of the gospel. So just as we finish, just one again, just to think about that question, because it's an important question, isn't it? Who's going to be leading our churches in 20 years' time? We need to be supporting our leaders, praying for our leaders, and we need to think how we can all be uh, creating good, healthy, godly 
circumstances and opportunities where we are helping to identify and bring forth new leaders of the gospel and reminding ourselves that we're doing it because of him, because this is the will of God uh, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we get to look at a passage like 2 Timothy. Thank you that there are people that you know who will be leading churches like ours in 20 years in the future. And we want to grasp your heart and to see that this is a vital, important thing to be constantly raising up people into gospel ministry. Help us to think about the ways that we can serve, that we can get involved, that we can support our leaders. Pray that we would be doing that prayerfully for the glory of Jesus. Amen.